DW Africa Link It is exactly 7 p.m. in Nairobi and 6 p.m. here in Bonn, Germany. Despite the time difference, you're right on time for DW's Africa Link where we dig deep into the latest news from Africa and beyond. My name is Okeri Ngushinado. And I'm Isaac Mugabe. Welcome to the show from me too. We are also live on our Facebook page DW Africa. And so drop your comments there as we are always happy to hear from our listeners. Here's what's coming up on the show. Kenyan President William Ruto seeks to strengthen ties with China as he attends the Belt and Road Forum. My coming to China this time round is a confirmation of our commitment to elevate this relationship for the mutual benefit of uh, Kenya and China. And while in China, Ruto plans to ask for more loans. We hear from Kenyans what they think about their president's idea. I fail to see the benefit in seeking loans from China, given the incessantly increasing cost of living. Kenya's consistent reliance on borrowing by the government is a matter of concern. We also hear from an expert if China is a good international partner for Africa, but stay tuned for the details after the world news in brief. DW News. And I am Michael Luti. Liberia is heading for a runoff in the presidential elections. Incumbent George Weah and his main contender Joseph Wakai failed to win an outright majority of 50% plus one of votes cast. From Monrovia, our correspondent Evelyn Pade tells us more. With 92% of the votes counted, the race is currently between the incumbent president George Weah and the former vice president Joseph Newman Boyakai. Boyakai is currently leading with 43.70% of the votes, while the incumbent president George Weah has 43.65%. Analysts believe none of the two will get an upright majority, pushing the elections to a runoff. The runoff is expected to happen in November. In Nigeria, at least 50 people, including women and children, have been abducted and three others killed in an attack by gunmen in Bagega, a mining village in Zamfara state. Residents have said, although Zamfara police is yet to release details of the attack, residents told Reuters news agency that gunmen stormed the village on motorcycles, shooting indiscriminately, and setting houses ablaze. Africa Link News comes to you from Germany's international public broadcaster DW. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has arrived in Israel in a show of solidarity after Hamas's attack earlier this month. He is expected to hold talks with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in Tel Aviv before flying on to Egypt to meet President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi. Scholz plans to discuss the situation in the war zone and how to prevent a further escalation. Earlier during a stopover in Jordan, Scholz sounded this warning to Iran and Hezbollah. I once again expressly warn Hezbollah and Iran not to intervene in this conflict. Together with our allies, we as the German government are doing everything we can to ensure that this conflict does not escalate further. Meanwhile, King Abdullah II of Jordan says neither his country nor Egypt would be willing to take in any Palestinian refugees. I think that is the plan by certain of the usual suspects to try and create de facto issues on the ground. 
No refugees in Jordan, no refugees in Egypt. This is a situation of humanitarian dimension that has to be dealt inside of Gaza and, uh, and, and the West Bank and not to try and push the Palestinian challenge and their future onto other people's shoulders. Belgium has reduced its threat level following the killing of the suspect responsible for gunning down two in Brussels. Authorities believe a Tunisian man who allegedly killed two Swedish citizens posted a video online claiming to be inspired by the Islamic State. The resulting terror alert led to 35,000 football fans sheltering for hours in a stadium. And finally, Russian President Vladimir Putin has met with his Chinese counterpart in Beijing. Putin is attending a summit marking the 10th anniversary of China's Belt and Road Infrastructure Project. It is Putin's first trip to a major global power since sanctions were placed on him for invading Ukraine. And you are up to date. But you can find more news on our website, dw.com. I am Michael Oti. Thanks for sticking with us on the program. I'm Isaac Mugabe. And I, my name is Okiri Ngushinado. Welcome to our listeners also on our Facebook page, that is DW Africa. Remember to comment on the stories we're covering on the show today. And let's delve straight into the show beginning in Kenya with a story that's creating quite a buzz on the international stage and back home. Kenyan President William Ruto's visit to Beijing, China for the third Belt and Road Forum is raising some serious questions. Ruto is in China to request a whopping $1 billion US dollars in loans and debt restructuring from China. Now, this is turning heads, especially considering that he's been a vocal critic of heavy borrowing from Beijing. It's a puzzling move for sure. With more on the story, we have our correspondent Andrew Wasike, who is in Nairobi, and will tell us more. President William Ruto's visit to Beijing, China for the third Belt and Road Forum has raised eyebrows as the Kenyan leader who has previously criticized heavy borrowing from China from his predecessor Uhuru Kenyatta is set to request a $1 billion loan and debt restructuring. This move is seen as a surprising turnaround given Kenya's already substantial debt to China. Speaking in China, Ruto said that his country seeks to deepen ties with the Asian country. My coming to China this time round is a confirmation of our commitment to elevate this relationship for the mutual benefit of uh, Kenya and China. And I would want to uh, persuade you and your company to look at the possibilities of working with us as the government of Kenya. Ruto was speaking after a meeting with high-ranking Li Shi, a member of the Communist Party who promised support to Kenya's projects, including the Standard Gauge Railway, SGR, project, which is part of China's Belt and Road Initiative. The announcement of President Ruto's borrowing intentions was made by his deputy, Rigadi Gashagwa. Ruto's previous criticism of his predecessor, Uru Kenyatta, for heavy borrowing from Beijing now appears contradictory as he seeks to secure additional financing from the Asian giant. Kenyans back home are watching this closely and there are murmurs of concern in the air. Let us listen to some of them. The ideal situation will have been Kenya to borrow from the multilaterals, the likes of World Bank, the IMF, because we are members of the, those institutions. In Case in our case scenario, when we default, it's not like when we we borrowed from China. They are more punitive. I fail to see the benefit in seeking loans from China, given the incessantly increasing cost of living. 
Kenya's consistent reliance on borrowing by the government is a matter of concern. Personally, I believe it's imperative that we prioritize debt repayment before seeking new loans. I'm not in favor of President Ruto's push for additional loans because it only exacerbates the burdens of high living costs and increased taxation on Kenyan citizens. Nevertheless, we must endure these challenging times. Kenya, with East Africa's largest economy, is grappling with a debt of over $68 billion, a substantial portion of which is owed to China. The cost of servicing this debt has been increasing, primarily due to the depreciation of Kenya's currency, which has reached record lows. James Morewa, finance expert, warns there is a need to be careful with ballooning loans. Yes, there is need to put some some controls and measures in terms of managing that debt. It is clear and it's known that if you compare the, the two loan requirements from World Bank, they give you a list that keeps increasing as you fulfill some of the conditions. The Chinese will give you five conditions and you meet them and your project is up and running. There is, of course, a, 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 a risk to that. The reason why we go looking east is because the World Bank has become too bureaucratic. When you're in need, you, you don't have much of a choice. President Ruto, known for advocating African self-reliance and urging African leaders not to depend on the West or Asia for borrowing, finds himself in a precarious position. This recent decision to seek significant financial support from China has cast doubt on his previous stance and raises questions about Kenya's future financial strategies and economic sovereignty. Andrew Wasike with that report. And uh, let's quickly go through your comments. We're wondering whether China and Africa and Africa, who benefits more? Philip Jerry says China is a risk taker. Mm-hmm. We have Sheikh Swari that says it's both ways. China is benefiting as well as Africa. And Shea Lantu says China is doing great for Africa than the US. We shall come back to comments whenever time allows us. Now, officials and leaders from all over the globe are in Beijing attending a high-level summit marking the Bree's 10th anniversary with Russian President Vladimir Putin also attending. Now, with funds pumped into nearly 150 countries, China is boasting that it has transformed the world. For more on the Belt and Road Forum, I spoke to political analyst Brian Singoro Wanyama and first asked him about Ruto's loan extension with China. The truth of the matter is that uh, Kenya today is in economic doldrums and that the balance of payments is in shambles. Because it's in shambles, then uh, the exchange rates uh, uh, today is going at uh, about 150 Kenyan shillings uh, against uh, one US dollar. When was it was very different uh, a year ago, it was going at about 120 Kenyan shillings, meaning that uh, there is a lot of stress and strain on the Kenyan shilling, and therefore, if that continues, then definitely the economy uh, will keep uh, sliding down. I think uh, uh, in a nutshell, uh, as much as the economic difficulties that uh, the balance of payments are not, books are not in in order, that the uh, the cost of living is going very high, and the dates are almost reached a ceiling of about 10 trillion Kenyan shillings, I think it's important and imperative that uh, President Ruto and his government uh, become innovative and move to the east because I think uh, in his view, the East uh, don't have a lot of uh, bureaucracy in terms of loans that they give to developing countries. And that maybe that's why he's going to the East so that uh, he can get some relief. Ruto is also going to speak to China about um, a restructuring so that they can pay back the loans. Is this also beneficial for Kenyans? 
Yes, yes. The loan restructuring is one of the methods that uh, countries, developing countries use, or stressed countries use to be able to afford to pay back loans. Because what the Kenya is experiencing today is that uh, there are very many loans that are due at the same time, and yet the money that the government is raising from taxes and even from the exports is very low. So by rescheduling the loans, then Kenya, I mean China, will give Kenya time to to to, to look for the money and pay. China is seen as the world's biggest international creditor at the moment, and there is a narrative around the Belt and Road Forum that it is merely a debt trap policy. I mean, is China trying to change that narrative about it? That looks like uh, from the way the international economic architecture is and the way it's behaving, China would have to change its way of doing business so that it can be accommodated in other parts of the world. I think there has been a big concern, especially from developing countries and many other economists uh, where uh, China has been giving a lot of money without conditionalities and uh, the, 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 the repayment has been difficult, the interest rate has been very high and so I think China is simply re-strategizing. It's being innovative, it's being current and it's responding to the current world situations where it has to open up its market to other countries so that then it can do business. Mm-hmm. We also see China building a relationship, a stronger relationship with African countries, South America and Asia, as the relationship with the West and their allies continues to sour. Is this, is this kind of a way of China trying to look for new partners? Um, is this a, tra- a better strategic move for them? It is, it is actually a strategic move for China. China knows that it, it is existing the world of competition. China has a ready market. China has the population. China has the technology. And therefore, what it has been lacking in the past has been an innovative way of doing business. So I think that basically what China is trying to do is to readjust, to renegotiate, and to reorient itself in an evolving market so that it can get an advantage over other countries, especially the West. I was speaking to political analyst Brian Singoro Wanyamav um, on the Belt and Road Forum. And uh, of course, anything to do with loans acquisition from China, it sends tongues wagging, especially for Kenyans on the social media platforms. Uh, some of them are praising their president for wanting to restructure, restructure the loans with China, but others are just bashing him. One comment that came in from... Uh, Zibenz says China is helping, but their contribution cannot be compared to the U.S. and other Western nations. For example, China has contributed little or nothing in budgetary support towards African nations as compared to the U.S. and EU. Thanks for that comment. We'll be back. It is a quarter past the hour. In case you're just joining us, you're tuned to DW's Africa Link program coming to live from our studios here in Bonn, Germany. Once again, my name is Isaac Mugabe. And with Isaac Izokeri in Gushinato, remember we're also live on our Facebook page, DW Africa, where you can leave um, your comments. I already see some commenting David Chamber saying, we pray for a peaceful outcome in the presidential elections in Liberia. Yes, by the way, in Liberia, as you heard at the start of the show, there'll be Definitely a runoff after uh, the opposition leader, that's Joseph Boakai, has 43.70%, while the incumbent president, former football star George Weah, has 43.65. A margin of 5.5. 
in in favor of the opposition that will be our story of the week that i will happily present to you on friday by coming up authorities in zambia threatened to deregister parties that install leaders without holding conventions opposition groups say incumbent president hakainde ichilema wants to cling to power we know that Haka Indechilema has disappointed big time. The best way is to tell Haka Indechilema to deliver on all the promises that he made. A little later on the show, we shall also have showbiz featuring the Euro 2024 qualifiers. But first, let's dive straight into a story making headlines in Nigeria. And that's definitely about minerals, minerals and minerals. The rush for lithium is on in Nigeria. Many nationals and foreigners like the Chinese who engage in illegal mining of the much coveted mineral used for rechargeable batteries and electric vehicles are involved in the search for lithium across the country. And this kind of illegal mining has left villages with untold soil erosion. Even when the government wants other sources of money outside oil as foreign exchange earner, Nigerians want the excesses of Chinese checked. The question is, how is the environment affected in this rush for lithium in Nigeria and who is raising the concerns? DW correspondent Nabuja Benchemang has more. Illegal mining of lithium is fast on the rise in Nigeria. The uncontrolled mining, which involves some Chinese nationals, is responsible for environmental degradation. Safina to Mohamed Sani, a geological consultant, explains. Why mining? We need to protect the environment. How do we protect the environment? There are five ways to make mining more sustainable, to lower impact mining techniques, reusing mining waste, eco-friendly equipment, rehabilitating the mining site, shutting down the mining or the illegal mining site. Lami Sadikat Salau, who is passionate about protecting the environment and runs a non-governmental organization, the Initiative Advancement for Mining, Healthcare and Environmental Protection, says mining activities should be regulated to deter illegal mining. You must do your mining right, in line with the provision of the Act and its regulation. The topsoil will be protected where it is beneficial to the community as well as to the people. We will be able to fight whosoever is coming in to degrade our environment. If we know what we are doing, no Chinese will be able to use us. The Association of Miners is blaming the federal government for not being strict in checking illegal mining activities across the country. Dele Anyuleke is the president of the association. Every miner is supposed to have some health and safety issues concerned and the facilities. The issue of Sanfara and even Niger, whenever there is a discovery of new minerals, all these itinerant miners, they will swing into such a place that they don't need to dig, they don't need to blast. And the actors, especially the ministry, does not come up immediately to checkmate the inflow. Now the federal government has taken action, which is that no more raw solid minerals will be exported because it becomes too cheap to do so when the prices of these minerals are high, as explained Dele Alaki, the Minister of Mining. We shall do everything possible to discourage the cutting away of our solid minerals without value addition. I want to emphasize the fact that the era of exporting raw solid minerals from Nigeria is over. Any company wishing to come and invest in the solid minerals industrial sector in Nigeria henceforth must add local value.
Keen observers want the Nigerian government to control mining and not have a repeat of the oil-rich Niger Delta region, where oil activities have destroyed the environment and contributed to the unending crisis there. Ben Shamang with that report from Abuja. Now moving on to Southern Africa. In Zambia, a threat by the Registrar of Societies to disenroll political parties that failed to hold conventions has been met with resistance and speculation that it is targeting the political party that is the patriotic front of former President Edgar Lungu. Critics also say the ruling United Party for National Development, UPNDs, of President Hakende Chilema wants to eliminate political opponents and entrench itself in power. Glenn Mushinge reports from the capital, Lusaka. The Registrar of Societies in Zambia has given a 60-day ultimatum to political parties to hold their party conventions and make their leaders known or face deregistration. But some observers in Zambia think the directive is meant to sideline political opponents of the ruling party. Brighton Tembo from a civil society group, the Community Action Against Corruption, explains. At the moment, people are thinking that that instruction by the chief registrar of societies is aimed at uh, deregistering or intimidating smaller political parties and the bigger political parties like the PF. Opposition party leader Nelson Musoni is one of those who also believe that former President Lungu is the main target because some citizens want him to come back. The concerns say the current president has failed to fulfill his promises. All of a sudden we have seen that this government has allowed itself to be distracted by pursuing areas that will ensure that the former president is, is ineligible to recontest in 2026. We think that should not be a priority. Okay? That should not be a priority. If you have delivered, you have nothing to fear. Several members of the UPND have continued calling on Lungu to tell the nation on whether or not he is in active politics. They believe he is, going by some of the pronouncements of the PF's top party members and the way he has been carrying himself lately, saying it is no wonder the PF keep postponing their party convention and having an acting president. Many claim the PF are holding on to his position while he tests his popularity before he decides to come back or not. If he does, he will lose his retirement benefits and might have his immunity lifted. Representatives of other political parties, such as Zambia Republican Party President Wright Msoma, have raised concerns about the 60-day ultimatum and think that the current president, Hakainde Hichilema, wants, through the Registrar of Societies, to tighten his grip on power. We know that Hakainde Hichilema has disappointed big time. So, if the Registrar of Societies wants to help Hichilema to remain in power, that's not the way to do it. The best way is to tell Haka Inde Ishrema to deliver on all the promises that he made while he's in opposition. Nsoma also warned the current government against using state institutions to fight their political openings. Power is with the people. Let us learn from where we are coming from. No matter what you are doing, it will never help matters. Come 2026, if Haka Inde doesn't improve, is going. You go with the Registrar Society's boss. Some of what Hichilema's critics accuse him of doing wrongly and list as reasons for his alleged use of underhand methods to stay in power 
include not fighting corruption generally, giving many of the government tenders to foreign nationals and failing to reduce the cost of living, among others. Glory Mushinge with uh, that report. And before we go for showbiz, let's bring some comments that you've been writing on this story. We asked you, what do you make of those accusations against President Takende Chilema or HH as fondly known in Zambia? And Hassan Mohammed sent uh, not one comment here. He says, destabilize your opponent to make them weak for you to lead. Politics is a dirty game. Chibuya Chibuya Jr. actually questioned why has this directive been issued? Has been done within the law? If yes, there's nothing to discuss and not, then it is the president's stench on it. Well, they have 60 days to do that or else they get deregistered or disenrolled. However, record the most says 60 days is too much. Thank you so much for those comments. And now let's head to showbiz. That segment that most of you wait for to kind of cool off, cool off their hard news. And it's about sports, the EU 2024 qualifiers with Crispin Mwakideu. And for showbiz today, let's bring you some sports updates in the Euro 2024 qualifiers. Italy will take on England in a Euro 2024 qualifier at Wembley Stadium on Tuesday, a repeat of the Euro 2020 final, which the Azzurri won on penalties. Luciano Spalletti's side were beaten by England in their opening qualifier in March. But three wins and a draw in subsequent fixtures mean Italy sit in second place in Group C with three games to go, three points behind the three Lions. I think England are a top-class side. They're one of the best in the world and that's why we need to be doubly good when it comes to staying tight and compact as a team. And ultimately, we need to make sure that the decisions and the choices we make on the pitch are easily identifiable by the whole team as a unit. All the players need to pick up on that. Otherwise, if we get too stretched, if we're dragged around the pitch, it will be a lot more difficult to produce a performance. A home win will see England seal their place at Euro 2024 with two games to spare, although Italy would still have an opportunity to claim the group's second automatic qualification place ahead of Ukraine and North Macedonia. And on a rather sad note, the Euro 2024 qualifier between the Belgium's Red Devils and Sweden did not go ahead on Monday evening following the shooting in the centre of Brussels a few minutes before kickoff. Two people of Swedish nationality were killed and a third was also injured. Manuel Leroy, CEO at Interim of the Belgian Football Association, had this to say. Yes, it wasn't easy. I think it was more or less 10 minutes before kickoff that we started getting messages here and there that something serious had happened in the centre of Brussels. Fortunately, some of our security people were immediately put in touch with the police to see what was really going on so they could check the messages. It was decided first, first and foremost, in fact, that the match should actually go ahead because actually the stadium enclosure was the safest place to be. You could say it was safe at the moment because all the fans were here, especially the Swedish fans who were, who were all safe. However, shocked by the news, the Swedish players did not wish to return to the pitch, even though all 22 players had returned to the dressing room at halftime. Meanwhile, Belgium head coach Domenico Tedesco, who spoke before the welcome Sweden, said that the national team had achieved a big target with qualification for Euro 2024, and especially so given the country's so-called golden generation of players have mainly retired. It's already a, a big target for us that we achieved because if you remember that yeah, six months ago, we had a completely new situation, uh, a situation that was not easy. 
we had to to change something we had to to call new players we had to build a new team because a lot of let's say the golden generation as you you call them um they retired so the job got um yeah even more difficult to achieve something with a new team with young players and now we qualified and um we are really happy it's not that normal um i think it's not easy our group i told him uh, or i told you from the very beginning that this group is not easy and it's not an easy group and now we achieved it and i'm really proud of uh, of this team this evening in group c england will take on italy and malta will play against ukraine in group g lithuania versus hungary and serbia will play against montenegro in group h there are a couple of exciting games notably northern ireland that will take on slovenia finland against kazakhstan and finally denmark playing san marino which should be a walkover for the danish side and in afcon the atlas lions of morocco will play against liberia and that's the showbiz for today back to you okeri and isaac Thank you, Crispin Makadeo, for bringing us the highlights um, on the Euro 2024. And in fact, in this evening's game, the EU, rather UEFA, UEFA has announced a, a moment of silence before all the games that will be played this evening in remembrance or in memory of the two Swedish fans that were shot yesterday by uh, by someone presumed to be a terrorist of Tunisian origin in Brussels. However, the police also neutralized that person. And today, this evening, before all the games begin, there'll be a moment of silence. Africa Link will be back tomorrow with the latest also for the games we played and also the collected collected results from all the games that will be played this evening. And we'll, I'll see you tomorrow. My name is Isaac Mugabe. And I'm Okeri Ngushinado. Until tomorrow. Made for Mind.